We're now going to hear from God's word. We're reading from John chapter 15, verse 26. So if you want to follow along with me, you'll find it on page 928 of the black Bibles that are on um, the seats. Page 928, um, John chapter 15, beginning at verse 26, and I'm going to read to the end of chapter 16. Now, this reading that I'm reading is the end of the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. So it's a very personal conversation. He's speaking directly to them. And John, who's the author of this book that we're reading, was one of those disciples. So this is his account of what Jesus says. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I am going to the father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more. And then, after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. 
They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete." Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that you will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the, God, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, and each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Uh, I don't know if you know of the man Jordan Peterson. He's a Canadian professor of psychology. Uh, he's written a book or two. He's on YouTube. Uh, generally divisive character. People either love him or they don't. Uh, but there's one thing he said which has really struck a chord to me, and it's a very simple thing, but it's really hit home. He has said a number of times this, life is hard. It is taxing, it is gruelling, it is hard. Now, it's easier than it was 50 years ago. It's easier in our context than the developing world. But life is hard. And I'll tell you why it struck a call with me, because the way I'm wired, I'm an optimist, a half-full kind of guy. And I think the world is generally easy and occasionally hard. But I realise the opposite is true, that life is full of hardship and pain and disappointment. That life is hard. And being a Christian, it's even harder. 
there's the normal struggles of life, but you add to it the struggle to share Christ in a secular world that wants to keep him silent. The struggle to understand the Bible in a world of misinformation. The, the struggle to deal with sin in your life if you want to worship Christ. Life is hard, and being a Christian, it's even harder. Now, you might be thinking, well, this is a great upbeat sermon to start my Sunday, right? Why do we talk about this? Because, not I or Jordan Peterson, but because Jesus does. Verse 33, Jesus says these words. In this world, you will have trouble. That's a guarantee, a promise. You will have trouble. But he doesn't say, well, good luck, all the best, thanks for coming. No, no, what does he say? But take heart. I've told you these things, that you may have peace. That Jesus wants his disciples to have peace in a troubled world. He wants them not to be disheartened by the struggles a face, not to be dismayed or hopeless, but to have joy, long-lasting joy. But you'll notice we started at the end of this chapter. Jesus has spent 33 verses, more than that, but 33 verses in particular, of telling the only way in which his disciples can have this kind of peace, and it is by the power and presence of God the Holy Spirit in your life. That we live in a troubled world, but Jesus' promises divine reinforcements in order for you to get through it. Now, there's some here who, maybe today's your first time at church, and Christianity is very new. Others, you've been a Christian for a while, but no matter where you're at, there's a lot of questions and confusions when it comes to who the Holy Spirit is. I mean, even my five-year-old daughter, I was playing with her the other day, and we were building um, like a sort of a fort, and she's saying, oh, let's, let's get some pillows and blankets and build a tower, and then we can jump and see the Holy Spirit. I'm like, what? And there's a lot of confusion there, right? But that's, just, that's all of us, right? We've got a lot of confusion about who the Holy Spirit, but Jesus doesn't want to stay as confusion. He wants us to bring clarity. So we're going to look at three things, who the Holy Spirit is, the work of the Holy Spirit, secondly, and then the joy of the Holy Spirit. Let's start with who is the Holy Spirit. John 15, verse 26 says this, When the Advocate comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Now, there's a lot of gold in that verse, right? If you hang around church long enough, you'll hear a whole bunch of words that may be foreign at the beginning but then become familiar. The word Trinity is one of those words. A trinity is the, the, the word Trinity is a word that captures who God is, that he is one God but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is unified but distinct, the same but different, not interchangeable. And you see the word Trinity is really trying to capture what verse 26 is saying, that the advocate will come who will be sent by the Son from the Father, that God is one but working together to achieve his plans, Uh, that the Father is the architect of salvation, the Son is the accomplisher of it, and the Spirit applies it. The Trinity is not a mathematical equation, but who God is, that he is unified but relational. But notice here, the Holy Spirit is referred to in two ways. One is the advocate. Who's he advocating for? Our natural tendency is to think us, that God's in my corner, he's my ambassador. And that's true at one level, but I actually think he's advocating 
for God in our lives, to bring God into our life so that we would live for him and think like him. But he's also the spirit of truth, that the Holy Spirit is all about what is true, cannot tolerate lies, misinformation or falsehood. The Holy Spirit is all about what is true. And with this in mind, what does it say? He will come, Jesus says, to testify about me. That the Holy Spirit is like an arrow pointing to Jesus, testifying about what he has done. Now, some Christians feel bad that the Holy Spirit doesn't get enough airtime, like the Father or the Son does, right? And there is a danger in ignoring the Holy Spirit, and we'll come to that in a moment. But notice what that verse is saying. He will come to testify about Jesus, pointing to Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I went with my family to see Hamilton, the musical. And there, Alexander Hamilton, the main character, a lot of the musical has a spotlight beaming onto him. Now, imagine if, I didn't do this, but imagine if I got during the musical say, can we just stop for a moment? Stop, stop, stop. I'm noticing that the spotlight is on Hamilton. Can we just turn around and look at the person who's holding the spotlight, right? Let's just look at that for the next hour or so, right? I'd get kicked out pretty soon, right? But that's not what a spotlight is. Spotlight is to highlight Hamilton. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's in spotlight ministry, highlighting who Jesus is, focusing on him. When a church is all about Jesus, the Holy Spirit is pleased. When a church only speaks about the Holy Spirit, that's not... God's agenda, that's theirs. The Holy Spirit come to testify about Jesus Christ. That is what pleases him. But there's one more verse, verse 7. Very truly I tell you, it is good for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Unless Jesus goes, the Spirit can't come. But it's not like this earth ain't big enough for two members of the Godhead, right? It's not like a spatial issue, but it's a spiritual one. It's good that Jesus goes. Why is it good? It's not like either the disciples, you know, have been under-functioning and Jesus put some boundaries up of like, all right, you need to detach from the... No, no, no. Why is it good? Where is Jesus going? He's going to die and to rise again. And unless Jesus goes to that cross and rises from the grave, sin will not be forgiven. Satan would not be remain powerless. Death would not be destroyed. And the Spirit would have nothing to testify about. It is good Jesus goes so that the Spirit can come and share what Jesus has done. But you know what? More than that. It's even good that Jesus not only just died and rose again, but that he ascended to the Father. You know why that is good news? Because if Jesus in his resurrected body was still on this earth walking around, if you wanted to go have a relationship with Jesus, you know what you have to do? Hop on a plane and go to wherever he was. If he was in Bangladesh, you'd go to Bangladesh. If he was in Mumbai, you'd go to Mumbai. If he was in Bangkok, you'd go to Bangkok. You would have to go to be with Jesus where he was physically. But that Jesus ascended to the Father, the Spirit come, and what the Spirit does is he democratizes Jesus. That anyone can have a relationship with Jesus Christ because it is the Spirit that unites us to Christ. That the same Spirit that united the divinity and humanity of Jesus 
is the same spirit that knights you to Christ so that his resurrection becomes yours. His righteousness becomes yours. And you can have a genuine, not a theoretical, not an old master, but a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. That is only possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit. That yes, every Christian, besides a few, have never seen Jesus face to face. But how can you say we have a relationship with someone we've never met? It is only by the power and work of the Holy Spirit uniting us to Christ. So that's the first thing. Who is the Holy Spirit? The second thing is the work of the Holy Spirit. What difference does the Holy Spirit do in your life if you're a Christian? The disciples are staring at a future without Jesus. And they've never done this before. You know, they're thinking, what does the Christian walk look like when I'm actually literally not walking with Jesus? How do I understand the Bible when I don't actually have Jesus by my side teaching me? How do I repent of sin when I don't have Jesus pointing out, hey, you need a change in this? They've not done this before, right? And they're left with a massive task, but they're left not on their own. Because Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is coming. That the Christian walk cannot be done in your own power or ability or strength, but in God's. When it comes to testifying about Jesus, what does verse 27 say? And you must also testify if you've been with me from the beginning. You know, whenever I'm talking about Jesus with someone who doesn't follow Jesus, I, I, I honestly, I get sweaty hands. I get nervous, right? And I presume the disciples did too. But they didn't have the gospel tracts. They didn't have Tim Keller or Alpha, right? They got, they had nothing. And yet they're supposed to testify about Jesus. But that's why those words before this verse are so important. He will testify about me. Every Monday night, I take the garbage bins out. And uh, they're quite heavy, so I'm lugging them up the hill. And, uh, but my three-year-old son, Thomas, always wants to help. And so here I am pulling this thing, and he gets to the bottom, and he likes to grunt a bit, like, oh, oh. And so he's helping me, right, as I lug these things up. And as I watch him help me, it is like me seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, that the Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting. But he still wants us to speak, to be a part of it. The Holy Spirit will move a, change a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He will penetrate heart and mind. He will awaken a soul. That's his work. He will do the heavy lifting, but he does want us to speak. You know that time where you get this nudging of, I, I should speak about Jesus. That, that's the Holy Spirit saying, let me speak. Let me testify about the great one. Don't quench the Holy Spirit in that moment. He wants to speak. Speak. The Holy Spirit is, is doing more than just testifying. Verse 13. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he'll tell you what is yet to come. Because as we've seen, the Holy Spirit is all about truth. He is very passionate about guiding people into truth. Now, this guidance is unique for the disciples, right? It would be wrong to directly apply it to us. Because in the next chapter, as we'll see next week, the disciples were given the role and the authority 
to write down the teachings of Jesus. And we see that in the Gospels and the Epistles. They had that authority. We do not. But the Holy Spirit is the one guiding them of the words to write. That the disciples aren't making it, that the Holy Spirit is guiding them what to write down. But notice it's not just the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit only hears and writes down from the Father through the Son. And that is why we know that this book, the Word of God, is the Word of God, that it is God-breathed because it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, each and every word, in guiding them to what is true. It's no coincidence that the Bible is often referred to in the Bible as the sword of truth, written by the Spirit of truth. If you want truth, if you want the Holy, speak, the Holy Spirit to speak to you directly, knowing that it is guaranteed that he's speaking to you, he has penned ultimately every word in the word of God. But the guidance doesn't just stop there. The guidance does continue in a different way now. When you read the Bible... I presume a lot of people in this room do find it overwhelming, right? It's a different context, it's a different world, it's different names, different places. It's overwhelming. Even as you're reading John's Gospel, which is a bit more, it's like, I get it, but I don't get it, right? You experience that? It's almost like a maze where you sort of walk into a maze, like, oh, I know where I'm going. Oh, wait, no, I don't. I said, oh, okay, no, I don't. You know, it's, it can feel a bit like that, but here's the comfort. It's like going into a maze and having by your side the one who made the maze guiding you. When you read the word, the Holy Spirit is not just done and dusted. I penned it many years ago. No, no, no. He is guiding you as you read it. He wants you to understand it. He wants to illuminate your hearts and minds, not just to know it, but then to worship Jesus Christ, put it into practice. He is so passionate about you knowing the truth that he doesn't leave you by by yourself, but he's with you every time. Now, to be honest, it's not like you just open, it's like, ah, and you're sort of like, you know, it's not that moment, right? You do have to read it, to work at it, to learn, to know, to memorize, right? It does take effort. But you know the biggest obstacle for you reading the Bible? It's not that it's too hard, there's not enough time, or there's unusual names. The biggest obstacle is that we ultimately don't want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. We like God to just rubber stamp the decisions that we've already made in our life, to tick them off without him having any input. But when you open the word, the Holy Spirit will speak to you and will say things to you that you may not want to hear, but oh, we need to hear. Things like verse 8. He will prove the world to be wrong about sin about righteousness and judgment. That the Holy Spirit will expose, prove, correct, reveal, show. It's like I heard of a story of a tradie who was doing some work on a veranda uh, and with a nail gun. And one of them misfired, didn't know where it went. Later on that day, he nearly got a toothache and headache. He thought, oh, it'll be all right. His wife told him, no, 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 I think you should go to the doctor's. The doctors did an x-ray, and this is a photo of what they probably sort of found. 
that the nail went in, right? We can move that photo away. It's a bit graphic. That x-ray exposed the problem. He might have thought it was a problem. It was a problem. The Holy Spirit exposes things in our lives that we may not think are an issue, but they are. When it comes to sin, the Holy Spirit, who's all about truth, will expose things, not about other people's sin, but your sin, and draw you to the forgiveness. Without the Holy Spirit, you would not think there's nothing, there's anything wrong with you. When it comes to righteousness, no amount of good works, charitable acts, kindness will make you righteousness of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will come and humble you to show you that religion doesn't work, but grace and forgiveness do. That the Holy Spirit will come to comfort you that Satan lost on that cross, that when the fears and the worries come up, that you do not have to fear because Satan lost Without the Holy Spirit, you would live in fear. Let me ask you this question. How hard would it be for you to go through the Christian life without the Holy Spirit? Kind of hard, sort of hard, impossible. You cannot do the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. It is like having a car and zero petrol. You are not going anywhere. You can do life, right? And you can do Christian things like sit in a church for an hour and a bit. You could read a Bible if you, you could be able to read, right? You can do Christian, but you cannot do the Christian life without the Spirit. You cannot love people who are hostile to you and your family. You, you cannot genuinely carry one another's burdens or people who are different from you from year on, year out. You cannot plead with your unbelieving friends to follow Jesus. You cannot understand the word of God and then worship Jesus Christ. You cannot regularly repent of sin and rest in the forgiveness that Jesus offers. You cannot live out this vision of the church of living for Jesus and loving like Jesus on your own. You cannot without the power of the Holy Spirit. And the problem is we live in a culture that movie after movie, particularly Christmas movies, tells you one thing. Believe in yourself. If you put your mind to it, you can do it. I was watching a Christmas movie the other day which says this right at the end, you know that moral ending? It says, you have the power because you are the power. The hero was inside of you all this time. And friends, that seeps into our Christian walk. And it is a profound danger. We gobble it up, we lap it up, and we think, I can do this Christian Christian walk in my own strength. You cannot. We think, I think I can... You know, go through life, you know, but you cannot. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit who gives you the energy, the drive, the will to want to follow and worship Jesus each and every day. Do you live in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit every day? The third and final thing is the joy of the Holy Spirit. You know, the end part of John's Gospel, there's a long discussion about little while, two words. That Jesus says he's going to be gone for a little while. The disciples have no idea what he means by a little while. And Jesus says, are you asking about a little while? Is that what you meant? And a little while becomes a long while, right? And Jesus does admit, verse 25, he's speaking figuratively. But the purpose behind this discussion is he's preparing them for what's ahead. 
that yes, he's going to be gone for a little while, but that little while is going to be filled with deep sorrow and pain and despair. You know when some, someone says, all right, sit down. I've got some bad news, right? They're preparing for what's to come. Jesus is doing that with his disciples. He's preparing them for what they're about to witness, witnessing him lifeless dead on a cross. He's preparing them for that moment. But it's not all gloom. I don't know if you've seen this movie on the screen, Inside Out. It's a Pixar classic. I'd highly recommend it, no matter your age. It's a tearjerker. But what it is, is it's it's different characters who are different emotions in a child's head. And there's one character called Joy, and there's one called Sadness. And Joy thinks sadness ruins everything. But as you get to the end of the film, Joy realises that joy and sadness are connected. And often the greatest joys arise from our deepest sorrows. Jesus says, you will grieve, verse 20, but your grief will turn to joy. Because that little while, after that little while, Jesus says, I will rise from the dead and your grief will fade away. He gives an example, verse 21, an illustration. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now, before the mums in the room get too angry with Jesus, with that word forget, he's not talking about an amnesia, right, like it was nothing. Just like he's not saying to disciples what he and their about to experience is not nothing. But he's talking in in terms of the word forget is when you see that child, the pain doesn't matter anymore. I've seen my wife give birth to each three of our kids. And she was phenomenal at it, right? The strength of that woman giving birth. I I was in gobsmacked and awe. But every time that happened, there was a moment from going from utter pain to utter joy in holding the little one. Tears of pain to tears of elation and joy in a moment. And it was worth it, she says. And friends, the day on the cross was horrible and painful. But that is coming when they would see Jesus face to face and the joy for him and the joy for it was worth it. There's no skipping sorrows to get to the joy. Mums would love to skip the nine months of pregnancy, the morning sickness, the excruciating labour, and just hold the newborn, but it doesn't work like that. Jesus tells his disciples, you cannot get the joy without experiencing the sorrow. Verse 22, so with you. Now is your time to grieve, but you will see again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. You know what Satan wants? He wants to rob you of your joy. That's his goal. Hates Christians, hates Jesus, and he hates you having joy. So his goal is for you to find joy in all the things that will go. The relationships, friendships, travel, house, because those things will go. But if your ultimate joy is in Jesus and his resurrection, then no one and nothing can take that away. The Holy Spirit wants you to have joy, genuine, deep 
joy every day and it is found in the resurrection of Jesus. Because everything else will die, but Jesus will never die again. He wants you to not just know that, but to experience that. When the trials come week in, week out, month in, year in, year out, to have a joy that can never evaporate or disappear. As the bad com- band comes up, let me end where we started. Verse 33. I have told you these things that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. This world is tough. Life is hard. Being a Christian, it's even harder. The only way you'll get through it is the power and presence of God, the Holy Spirit. That when you struggle to speak, the Spirit gives you the words to say. That when you struggle to know the truth, he will guide you to all that is true through the word of truth. That when you struggle with sin and pride and Satan, the Spirit there is guiding you. That is not you anymore. And when the sorrows come, And the hardships seem too much. The Holy Spirit reminds you of a joy that can never go, waver or fade. That Jesus is alive. That we will go through this life and it may seem like we're doing it alone. But through the power of the Spirit, we are never, never alone. Amen.